Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast. I have stolen control of the podcast from Alan, so I am the host today. I'm sure you're all very happy about that. Um, We've got a great podcast today. We've got a special guest and everything. Uh, Tina. Tina comes from, what's the name of your company again? I can never remember it. Um, (laughs) Cotton Candy Cyanide. Cotton Candy Cyanide, which is a great name. Um, (laughs) Yes, and uh, Tina's got her new game out, which we're going to talk about in the podcast later down the track. But for now, hello, Tina, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's delightfully early. (laughs) It is. So the time we record these things uh, for listeners is 8 o'clock Australian time and Tina's based in Japan, which is one hour before. So she's actually up at (laughs) 7 o'clock in the morning, which is brutal on a Saturday, no less, to chat with us. So we really appreciate you being on. (laughs) That's uh, it's it's a cruel time, but it's it's that actually works. (laughs) We'll do our best. We'll make sure we get lots of that traffic so people maybe buy a million copies of your game and... Mm -hmm. It'll be all because of us. Uh, We've also got on the podcast, Trent. Trent is our regular. Hello, Trent. Hello. I, too, am also up ridiculously early. It's (laughs) 8 o'clock, though. But still. It is. It is. But you don't have a video game to sell, so you're even more crazy to actually be up at this time. (laughs) We also have Harvard. Hello, Harvard. Hello. I am so sleep deprived because it's Tokyo Game Show season. I'm sure, Matt, you you could... Stay the same. Yes, I was up until one o'clock this morning. That's why I'm so bright and perky. I just, um, I never really got to sleep. Uh, the <laughs> the streams were long and all day long. We're going to talk about TGS later on in the show. And finally, we have Matt from that mythical kingdom over in New Zealand. Hello, Matt. Hello. Yes, I'm also very early where it's 10 o'clock in the morning here. And I am not used to being awake this early. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay, we're all here. That is that is a very good roll call. I think I did a good job with that, to be honest. Um, and we're going to start with our usual Hatsune Miku music track. Now, we usually throw this over to the guest if they're here, if, they're, if we have one, if they have a favourite Hatsune Miku track, but I just realised I didn't actually tell you about that beforehand. So you <laughs> maybe don't, Tina. Do you like Hatsune Miku? I do, and uh, Dear Cocoa Girls is my, my jam. Oh, that's a very beachy cool party song. I like that song. <laughs> it's very good. Okay, so dear Kokoa girls, it is. Alan's coming mad. Yeah. yeah. I found another Miku fan. I'm going to have to get you on the podcast all the time now. <laughs> I need I need an ally. Um, okay. <laughs>
Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful bit of music. So, uh, the games of October, as usual, we're going to start our podcast off by talking about the stuff that's coming up in the month ahead. And we have stuff. It is definitely going to be a month where there are games released. Uh, we're going to start with the PlayStation 4. And on October 1, so right from the start, we've got some big names coming. Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, which um, I'm sure some people are look forward to. Some people are crazy and like Crash Bandicoot. And um, yeah, there you go. There's a new one coming. There's also Star Wars Squadrons coming out on October 2. So EA is coming out with one of its big guns. Uh, we've also got Ride 4, if you like the Vroom Vrooms. That's coming out on October 5. And Nickelodeon Kart Races 2 is coming out on October 6, along with FIFA 21, if you like your footballs. So there's a lot of sports games coming out in October is the point. Um, scrolling on further, we've got The Survivalist coming out on October 9. That looks pretty good. You can go and check that one out if you haven't heard of that one before, but it does look like a charming game. On October 13, we have a visual novel double pack coming, Robotics Notes, which is what well, belongs to the same broad franchises uh steins gate and if you haven't heard of robotics notes before you should probably check that out because i think if you like your visual novels you're going to enjoy that one on october 13 we have another sports game nhl 21 that be the ice hockey one um on october 14 oni chambara origin if you like your action games with lots of fan service then you're definitely <laughs> going to be looking forward to to that one that's the one where they all run around in bikinis because it's actually oni chambara bikini warriors or something so yeah the, the the bikini is the default in that which is pretty good um on october 15 if you haven't played raji an ancient epic before it came out on nintendo switch about two months ago it is out on playstation 4 it is definitely worth checking out it is basically a prince of persia like by um an indian developer and it's about indian mythology or religion actually i don't know um it's about hindu and um it, it's uh it's an action game with a, a that aesthetic and stuff and it's really neat it is very very good there's also DLC coming for Neo 2 uh, on October 15. That's Darkness in the Capital, which if you enjoy Neo, I'm sure you're going to be looking forward to that. Uh, still going. There's a lot of games coming out. Uh, on October 20, Amnesia Rebirth, which is a horror game, a good horror game uh, series. I'm looking forward to another one. It's been a while since it has been a new Amnesia game. I think about seven years, but that's coming out on October 20. Um... Transformers Battlegrounds comes out on October 23, which I wasn't looking forward to until I saw a bit of a clip of it, and it actually looks pretty fun. So there you go. On October 27, there's going to be a massive JRPG to look forward to with the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 4 landing. Now, if it's anything like the previous three, that's about 70 or 80 hours worth of gameplays, and uh, you're going to have to play the previous three to make sense of the fourth. So if you haven't played them before, get playing. You've got a lot of catching up to do by October 27. Um, and then, I don't know, some game called Watch Dogs that comes out on October 29. I think some people are looking forward to that. <laughs> not me, not Never me. Never heard of that one. No. Um, but yeah, it's coming out. That'll, that'll be good, I think, for somebody. Uh, and then on October 30, the next game in the Dark Pictures series comes out. This one's Little Hope. So the first one was Man of Medan, and that was actually very good. I enjoyed that a great deal. It's meant to be 
you know, a series of little horror games that they're doing, each one that has a slightly different theme and stuff. And uh, Little Hope is the second. So hopefully it matches up with the, the quality of the first one. So that's by the um, the guys that did Until Dawn, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. Superman. And it's basically awesome. the, it, it's basically the same game. <laughs> it's just repackaged with, with slightly <laughs> different slightly different characters, but they all play the same way. And that's not a bad thing because Until Dawn was a was a good game indeed. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I delayed it from September. My God, I almost died. Yeah, but it makes sense as a, ho- a Halloween game anyway. So you know, it comes out at about the right time, I guess, for for that the spooks. <sighs> And then, finally, for the PlayStation, there is a little Nipponichi game that is actually very visually interesting and promises to be very good. It's called Mad Rat Dead. That comes out on October 30. This is like a rhythm game platformer thing by the same creator behind the Yomawari series. So Yomawari's are very good little horror games. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to Mad Rat Dead. You can Google search it up. It has a very nice aesthetic. That is just the PlayStation. Moving on to Nintendo Switch. <laughs> okay, I'm, I need a breather. Uh, I'm rolling, <laughs> scrolling through. So, starting on October 1, we have a game called Warsaw coming out on Switch. Now, Warsaw is, I believe, like Darkest Dungeon, but World War II themed. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's interesting. I'll give it a go. On October 1 as well, East Origin comes out. And that is oh, a game that's really good. East, so, um, I like saying East. It is, <laughs> it's a game in the East franchise, and I'm sure some people will enjoy that a great deal. It's there is very old. See? But it, it's... Mm-hmm. You, you, you're, no one heard my horrible pun. I said, is it easy? It's actually really <laughs> hard. It's a really hard game. <laughs> Moving on. Um, <laughs> October 1 also brings us Super Mario Bros. 35, which I'm very interested in, and you will want to play that from day one because you only get to play it for about three months before Nintendo pulls it again, Um, which is just weird and stupid, but Nintendo being Nintendo is going to do Nintendo things. You can play it for a couple of months starting October 1. Look, does look good. So it's the kind of game that you probably want want to have hanging around and not deleted. But anyway, moving on... um, there's an awful lot of games that come out on Switch, but most of them are like hidden objects games and stuff, and I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, <laughs> FIFA 21 Legacy Edition comes out on Switch, which is basically FIFA 21 about seven years ago, and they just haven't bothered to update it. So um, if you like your footballs and don't mind it being exactly the same as last year's, there you go. It'll be on Switch. Agatha Christie's The ABC Murders comes out on October 6th, and that actually is a good game, I believe. <laughs> um, I, I believe. I think it's been out on other platforms for a while, but it comes out on Switch. And if you like your, if you like your detective games, then you probably enjoy that one. Game Dev Tycoon comes out on October eight. That's a well-regarded, I believe, Aussie-developed um, simulator where you get to make your game studio of your dreams and make all kinds of weird game names and watch them sell a lot of copies, which doesn't happen in real life, I can assure you. But um, it it's a fun fantasy. On October 13, Prinny 1 and 2 comes out. Now, Prinny are very difficult platformers from Nipponichi. Uh, very, very difficult platformers. And they'll send you a little bit nutty. But because they're Prinnies, which is the Penguin characters from the D- Disgaea games, then um, it's kind of cute. So there you go. Robotic Notes also comes out on the Nintendo Switch. That's October 13. Um, what else have we got? 
lots lots more names jackbox party pack seven which is great if you're able to go to parties at the moment which you can't most of the world so you know wrong time to release a, a party game peeps um shante risky's revenge comes out on switch on october 15 that'll be good shante's always good reliable fun even if you played them before you want to play them again uh, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit comes out on October 16 for Switch. If you have a house that is big and you can do augmented reality games where you actually have little carts driving around, then there you go. Most of the rest of us don't. So that game's going to be completely postal, uh, postal <laughs> pointless. <laughs> well, it is going to come in the post. Um, the, reason I t- <laughs> the reason I said... <laughs> <laughs> the reason I said Postal is I just saw Postal, it's on the list underneath the Mario Kart game, so I got confused for a second there. But it is also coming out on Nintendo Switch. That's Six. a real mood whiplash there. <laughs> yeah, going from the bright, charming Mario Kart to Postal. Um, Plus, everyone knows Postal 2 is the better game, because you get milk and then you start burning books and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great game. I've never played a postal game. I'm not sure I want to start. But anyway, um, my universe fashion boutique comes out on October 27. Don't know what that is, but um, Wait, what what was what is it called? My universe fashion boutique comes my, out on October. My uni- it's not the it's not the same series as the 3ds fashion games, is it? Well, no, that's uh, why I'm saying that it's not. But I want it uh, to be. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm sad. Those uh, are the I, games. Yeah, they are. Which is why I, I mention it because I wish that. Nintendo and was it Koei that made those ones? Um, anyway, uh, that series I wanted to come back. So, yeah. Um, some Sonic games come out on Switch. These like double packs with Monkey Ball. So, but it's Sonic, so who cares? Um, Mad Rat Dead. Mad Rat Dead also comes out on October thirty. Don't say that one when you're not sober. That's going to be a very hard game name to say. Uh, Pikmin 3 Deluxe comes out on October 32, which will be fun. Who doesn't like Pikmin? Pikmin is a charming little thing. And that's it. That's it. I'm sure I'll probably miss one or two other games, but I'm tired now. So, um, (laughs) Harvard, of all of those games mentioned, you get to pick one. Just one. Oh, that is so many. Um, I'm going back through my list, and I'm thinking... Uh, look... I'm going to be honest, I think I'll play East Origins again. Fun fact, East Origin was one of the first games I bought with my own money, and so it has a special spot for me. But Aww. every now and then I go back to it, and it holds up really well. Because it came out on the PC in Japan in, I think, 2006. And it came out in the West in 2013. And even that gap of time, it has not aged at all. Like, the boss battles and the gameplay and the mechanics are all really, really solid. Cool. I played, played it for the first time when the PS4 version came out a couple of years ago, and it was yeah, still really good. Yeah, it feels modern, it's right? Great. Yeah, it feels like a new game. Cool, that's good. Um, yeah, I got nothing else to add there, so that's a good choice, Harvard. Ten out of ten, thumbs up. Matt, your turn. Pick one. Um, I'm picking one that you neglected to mention. <laughs> Um, even even though it's in the list you were looking at, assuming I'm looking at the same list, um, is uh, Pio Fiore Fated Memories, which is the new um, automate, automate game. Um, this one is kind of a mafia-themed one, which should be quite interesting. 
Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Always, I think Automate always does really great stuff. So looking forward to seeing how this one turns out. Do you yeah, I'd Automate game. Would you say have it? Did you say it like a mafia themed Automate game? Yes. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one I um did not mention. So you're right, Matt. I, I, I did neglect to mention that one. It's because it has a strange name, and I'm just kind of skipping over them when I've got so many to read through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does look good. I, it, the it, art it, style is lovely. Yeah, and it seems like the leaders of the different mafia gangs are the love interests. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Just like in real life, huh? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, moving on, Trent. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to say Animal oh, Crossing again. There's, there's, there's actually there's actually uh, there's actually games coming out this month, um, which is good. Uh, not like the past ones. Uh, I will say I, w- I won't say Watch Dogs, even though I really want to because I know you hate it, and <laughs> you know. I didn't really like two that much. I thought one was a better game for reasons, and Whoa. yes, like one and two have like the reverse issues. So everyone's like, "Oh, but the protagonist in one's like a brutey, like you know, you know, emo kind of you killed my family kind of guy." But like in two, it's the reverse. They're bloody YouTube kids. Like it's just aggravatingly like. <laughs> Pop culture slam. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on, hang on. Did you say, how can they possibly have issues? They're not political games. They're from Ubisoft. Oh, you know, the ad that's political. The games aren't going to be, but the ad's political. <laughs> but but, but free, free looks like it could be cool, but I'll, I'll hold off saying I'm hyped for it until it actually comes out and I actually play it. Um, but anyway. It's got Stormzy um, in it. It's got Stormzy in it. It also has um, a, uh, the original protagonist from number one. Yeah. Yeah. That means it's really good. You have to pay extra to get them as DLC, and nobody's going to do that. No, no. My, my, my <laughs> game's going to be um, the Mario Kart Race Circuit. I know we need a giant house, but damn it, I'm going to convince everyone to buy it, and then we're all going to have... <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you were so going to say, damn it, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to build a very big house to play it. <laughs> <laughs> that is some um, dedication, actually building a house so you can actually play this game. <laughs> Uh, but yes, every, everyone everyone I've already told who has a Switch is interested in the game, they're going to buy the game, and then we're going to have multiplayer, and it's going to be great. Honestly, it looks it looks like so much fun, but I just don't have the house for it, um, or space, or anything like that. It's just, it's one of those weird things that, uh, I, I it, it amazes me that a Japanese company of all companies came up with it, given how, how small a lot of the houses in Japan are. I mean, I just can't imagine the population of people that can actually play that thing are, are going to. The numbers aren't going to be big, but it is a great idea. I think it's. I think it's wonderful. Uh, very creative. Very Nintendo. So, if you got the space, yeah, good on you. You're lucky. Buy it. Um, and Tina, your choice. Pick one. Uh, I'm. I'm all about the little hope. <laughs> As, as I probably said, <laughs> I didn't even wait till the end of the second round. I'm like, yes, please, God, give it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm I'm so excited. I like all of uh, their stuff from, you know, uh, the thing that annoys me the most, though, is that you probably know they have some VR games, um, like The Impatient, um, and I can't handle VR, so I have to play with the thing on top of my head and pretend... And then look at the TV. <laughs> um, and it's so good because it's set in the same world as uh, Till Dawn. 
Um, so you're actually like, if you haven't played it, it's set in like the kind of like the hospital that's played in the movie, uh, played in the game, but it's back in like the fifties or something. I don't know. It's really good, but I haven't finished it yet because I have to like, um, prepare myself because even then I still get sick um, <laughs> so I do like half an hour at a time and I just wish they'd make a non-VR version if they could release that as well with Little Hope I'd be very happy yeah that was actually the Impatient was a good game I quite like that one um, so I yeah. should keep going regardless of the violent throwing up <laughs> yeah keep keep going just 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 say it's enhancing the horror for you you know it's just uh, it's part of the experience <laughs> But no, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it should be good. I, I definitely, they're, they're very reliable. Um, and Men of Madame Biscuit, that was a haunted boat one. This mm-hmm. one, what's the setting of this one? This is like a uh, village, like is a little, it? Or a house? A little town? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Because you don't get much other than like the, the, the like trailers. And it doesn't tell you much and it's just creepy and in like a little town. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should be good. Definitely looking forward to that. Um as for me, I guess my pick will be, well, I'm one of the guys that actually has gone through the Legends of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 1 through 3, so I can step into 4, having not have to play, you know, 150 hours, 160 <laughs> hours worth of game to get to that point. So I can be excited about this game, and I am excited about this game. I think it's going to be good. That series is, um, well, it kind of took the baton from for the traditional JRPG this generation, really. So, yeah, give me more Trails of Cold Steel. I am disappointed that Elise is not like the main character of the whole thing by now because she's obviously the best. But um, it is what it is, I guess. I'm just imagining one day someone's going to set aside a, a full week of doing nothing but playing Trails of Cold Steel and they may or may not be up to date to get to the full game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, that is. Those those are epics. But um, we've we've discussed it plenty often in the in the podcast in the past, those are one of those rare games that actually deserve to be that long because they actually have themes and stuff that last that long. It's not just there for content's sake. It's actually, it's good stuff and yeah. But they are all direct sequels to one another, so you do have to play them in order. No, maybe they can release a a bridged version. (laughs) Do a little audio CD just kind of reading through the plot of the first couple just so you can catch up and then play the third one, the fourth one. That'd be a good idea. All right, that was a long segment. We talked about a lot of games. <laughs> we'll go to some music. Uh, let's put who we're going to put on the spot. Let's put Matt on the spot. Matt, pick a song that we're going to play. Make it a good one. Um, we put me on the spot here. It's <laughs> my job. I'll think of something. <laughs> Surely Pierre Fiore must have some good music. <laughs> yeah, I can look for It's going to be funny seeing Alan try to trace down some music from yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, it's out, it's a bit out in Japan, so there should be music somewhere. Oh, 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 oh. 
Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so at the point in which we are recording this podcast, we are halfway through Tokyo Game Show. It is a Saturday, and Tokyo Game Show runs from Thursday to Sunday. So we can't exactly talk about what is coming over the next two days, which is unfortunate because if you look at the streams, Tokyo Game Show being a digital-only event this year, if you look at the streams that, are, streams that are coming up, there's going to be some good stuff. We're going to see Koei Tecmo announce a new Dynasty Warriors. We're 99% sure that's happening. Um, which will be great, the next generation of Dynasty Warriors. Let's see how that goes. Uh, we've also got, no doubt, some bits and pieces coming from uh, a bunch of other developers and publishers as well. But we can only talk about what we've seen so far. Um, and of the two days of streams, there's been some good bits and pieces that have come. I think um, the near stream at the start of the event was really good. Let's start by talking about that. And let's go to Matt. Matt, I have a question for you. Are you going to play that uh, mobile Nia game? I'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like Nia. I get bored of mobile gacha games very quickly. I even am starting to get bored of Stenoelis, which I was really enjoying for a while. So, I mean, I'll give it a go because it's near and it's Yoko Taro, but I don't know how long I'll like, how much I'll actually enjoy it and how long I'll stick with it for. Well, well I, apparently, I'm a, apparently, from what my reading between the lines, I guess, um, in terms of what was announced at that stream, it looks like this one is actually sharing plot points, which are pretty critical to Nier. So, uh, you're probably going to have to play it if you're a big fan of Nier. Yes. Wait. Is it is it standalone or is it connected to Automata or is it connected connected to the first one? Well, they're uh, all connected to one another, really. Yeah, That's the whole point. Are they? <laughs> yeah. What? Standalone, but part of the same universe and same overall. Oh, thing. didn't know that. Well, Near Automata takes place two thousand years after Near, I think. Oh, that, that, that's why I assumed it was just going to be like just a completely different game, you know, like. Then actually, I'm not going to say that. But um, yeah, there's also we also got to see some footage of near in action, and I hadn't actually seen any of the game in action beforehand. I don't know how much had been shared. They actually showed some just raw gameplay, and it looks really good. I loved near. Um, I was one of the few people that managed to play it before stock went got really short, and they never actually re released that one for download on PlayStation 3 or whatever. So that's become a, a bit of a rare game, but I really enjoyed it, and I'm really glad that it's coming back. It looks like they've done a good job in terms of sprucing it up, uh, so it looks modern enough, but at the same time, they haven't lost the soul of it, which is... Um, which is unfortunately what it looks like has happened to Demon Souls remake. It looks like they've lost the soul of Demon Souls, but uh, yeah. unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, it really doesn't look. I'm not impressed by what I've seen of Demon Souls, but that wasn't from TGS. That was from beforehand. Uh, I am very impressed with what I've seen of Nia remake. It is unfortunate it's not Daddy Nia though. It's the other Nia. <laughs> Brother, big brother Nia. Do you, know if, um, yeah. do you know if Platinum is involved with this one? No, no, it's got nothing to do with Platinum. 
the mechanics look very inspired by that. I don't know if it's more action-y than the original, but it definitely looks like it's taking some cues from Automata. Um, it looked very much like I remember playing it. Now I say that having not played Nier for about nine years. <laughs> um, so I may be mixing a little bit of Nier with Nier Automata up, but I it, it did look and feel much like I remember the original Nier being. So I don't know if they're going to... I'm sure they'll refine it a bit because the original Nier was a game that a lot of people didn't get along with from a gameplay perspective. So I'm sure they'll do a little bit here and there to make it a little bit more palatable. But I hope they don't mess with it too much because so much of that game was kind of um, great because it was unique in what it was. So it'll be a tricky ba- tricky balancing act for them, I think. And the good news is the TGS stream gave me confidence about it. So... Um, Moving on, what else did we see? We saw Sega. Sega did a show, and um, they seem to have announced Virtua Fighters coming back, which is pretty out there. I don't think anybody expected that to come. But uh, Matt, as the resident fighting game dude, are you looking forward to that? Whatever form yes. that is? Yeah. Um, they're a bit vague on it. Yeah, they're a bit vague about that. I'm not sure if they were actually announcing a new game. They talked a lot about you know, a sort of esports program around it. Um, so I guess we'll see what comes out of that. But yeah, it should be. Hopefully, there's a new game. That'll be exciting. It's about time for a new game. Um, it's almost. It's been almost enough time since Virtual Fighter Five came out that people have started to learn the basics. So, of a very complicated game. Indeed. Um... <laughs> Brutally complicated. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pick it up if it's brutally complicated. I just want like a simple, like, fighty game every once in a while. Like, I just want a sim- like, I just like a good con every once in a while, even though I hate Call of Duty. But I just like, you know, the mechanics, like, the- they're really good mechanics for shooting. Why can't there be that but fighting games? There is. It's called Dead or Alive. With less fan service. I was going to say Street Fighter, but. Sure, Dead or Alive. <laughs> I mean, the whole point of Dead or Alive is it's a super accessible fighter. It's uh, looking beyond the fan service, which is hard to look beyond at times, I know. But uh, looking beyond the fan service of Dead or Alive, it is a very good accessible fighting game and probably more along the lines of what you're looking for, Trent. Virtua Fighter is not what you're looking for, I can assure <laughs> you. Virtua Fighter is hardcore of the most hardcore fighting game for the people that like their fighting games with um, technical precision to the point you probably need to do like courses and get belts and stuff to to progress through the ranks. Uh, <laughs> that's what it was always there for, and they were very good at achieving that. Um, who knows how that's going to work on the esports scene? I can't imagine it's going to be huge because... Um, not a lot of people are going to want to play it, but good on them for giving it a go. I think. <laughs> I mean, it's always had a, a sort of small and dedicated competitive community around it. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously endured, and people are looking forward to it. And the announcement was a genuinely exciting thing. And it was always, if it was going to give, come back, esports was the way to go. Just like pretty much every other fighting game, they need that uh, competitive community to sustain it. So I hope it's a new game as well. I think that would be, it, it would be weird for them to expect to build a big esports community around the older 
Virtua Fighters. So, um, what else do we see? We saw over TGS. We've seen an awful lot of Chinese games this year as well. Um, there's been quite a few streams from Chinese publishers and developers and stuff. And Harvard and I have been online chatting about this pretty much every time this a stream popped up in the in the the DDNet Slack. So Harvard. Um, from all of the Chinese games that you've seen that have been announced, talked about, showed off, um, what are your thoughts? Oh, man, I have some really spicy opinions that I'm not going to say on the podcast. <laughs> uh, just, just, to, just to clarify for anyone listening, I am Chinese. However, I live in Australia, so I'm like somewhat disconnected from the culture. I don't know. There was one that you linked me yesterday, I think, which did look really good. The um, the and one that, um, some... the one that was being developed by well, they originally Australian but moved over to Beijing. Is that the one? I think so. It was to be honest, I don't remember anything about it except for thinking that it looks pretty good. Oh, the rewinder, that's the one. <laughs> the rewinder, yeah, that's the one. So it that's reminds a of... me a lot of um, uh, there there was actually a lot of games that like this where it was side scrolling horror ish, very cultural, and the the graphics and the aesthetic that this one has i think it's going to be really good yeah it looked really nice uh it was to two australians i think it's a tiny little micro studio of two um they were based in melbourne but decided to relocate over to beijing so they are now i guess a, a chinese developer but they do have that australian connection so it's an interesting it looks like an interesting mix of things it, it looks like one of those games if funnily enough it reminded me a little bit of uh, a game called uh, tokyo duck which was released um, a couple of years ago, or last we year, actually. We'll play one day. You should absolutely play it. But the reason it was interesting to me was Tokyo Dark was made by a bunch of uh, Western people who had re relocated to Japan, and it was kind of like their their look from the outside, from within, <laughs> about what they saw uh, in, in Japan. And it's, uh, it, it's a fascinating mix of uh, distance, but also... Um, practical experience, I guess. And it looks similar in the sense that it looks like it's a game done by, I think, Chinese Australians from uh, about Chinese culture. So it's that kind of uh, the mix of perspectives on there that gives it a, a unique look. I'm yeah, definitely keen on trying that one out. I should I should start making my own games. You should. Um, and I thought Matt <laughs> really liked Anomuta, I'm going to pronounce it, Anomutation M or whatever it's called. Yeah, the Cyberpunk one looked really good. Really, really good. There's a, I think that was being done by a fairly large team by indie standards, uh, and they did bring in people from Japan and Italy and places. At least as far as the promo video that they did showed, it was a pretty multicultural team working on it. And yeah, it looks much more cyberpunk than a certain cyberpunk game that's coming out by a very big studio soon. Um, <laughs> Wonder what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, I think. It, it it definitely looks good, and I can't wait to try that one out. I'm just really enthusiastic about the Chinese game industry in general, I think, um, because I have been to TGS over the last six or seven years. Every year I've seen the Chinese development community really participate in that event and grow, and the games that they're producing are much more impressive as well. We haven't seen it at TGS so far this year, but the Dark Souls-like Journey to the West game looks like everything I've ever wanted in a video game, to be honest. Um, I can't wait for, to give that one a go. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really impressed with 
what I've seen from Chinese developers, and they definitely take TGS seriously, so it's good to see. There was an interesting statistic, actually, just briefly. Uh, they mentioned it on the Huawei show, and yes, I've been watching every single stream on TGS, so even ones that are just as utterly boring as Huawei showing off phones. But there was an interesting <laughs> little stat that came out of that one, that apparently something like 60% of all global video game audiences now come from Asia Pacific, with a big bulk, you know, uh, a big number of that coming from China. But yeah, the Asia Pacific region is now the number one market for video games in the world by a long way well and truly eclipsing america so that being the case we are going to see studios from all around the world have to engage with the way that asians like video games um, because that's where the money will be so that's a yeah. that's that's good to see because that means that maybe they can stop doing call of duties um also, i have a question for you now yeah uh, so we recently found out that Konami is going to be doing a, a compilation. Actually, do we talk about this, this section or the next section? Oh, we'll talk about it, this section, the section, whatever. We're, we're easy going, Harvard. Yeah, <laughs> so they're releasing a compilation of the earlier Metal Gear Solid games. And I know that Matt very famously did a change of heart regarding Kojima. He didn't like him very much until he played Death Stranding, and now he thinks Kojima is an auteur. So do you think this will compel you to go back and play the early Metal Gear Solid games in that light and see if they hold up? Well, it's not that Konami is doing them, it's that Konami has already done them. You can go and buy all Wait, those what? games. What? You, what? You can, you yeah. can they were buy... dropped last night. Dude. They were dropped notice? last night. You can actually... <laughs> this is what I get for sleeping. <laughs> you can actually go and, play... you can go and buy all of them from GOG right now. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear Solid 2, and another Metal Gear Solid. So there's three of them. But they're not a compilation, they're just released as individual drops. But yeah, I'm interested because I haven't played uh, Metal Gear Solid since deciding that Kojima's actually a pretty smart dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would be interested in seeing, now that I did get enough into Death Stranding that I wanted to analyse it more deep, I guess, and and engage with Kojima on Kojima's terms. It'll be interesting to see if I am willing to do so with Metal Gear Solid. Um, I'm definitely keen to to investigate that. So I will do so, Harvard. I'll let you know. See, um, I love Death Stranding, but I'm not. St I'm still not interested in Metal Gear. I don't know. I'm just... Uh, shooters, I'm just tired of. Like, I guess I know it's got a lot of themes and that sort of thing, but... Uh, it's got I, a lot of themes. They're not, <laughs> they're not shooters I, if you don't want them to be. But but I... Just, well, just play I them without, without using your gun. I hate stealth games. They're just so boring. But, like, Death Stranding was just perfect. Like, it had, like, wankery music at the start where it's like, you know, like, is it, like, it, like if you're watching a James Bond movie and then suddenly there's like a introduction with cool music, but it was in a video game. And then like, then it was like just delivering packages. It was great. It was the like, best game. It wasn't just it really about that. It was, it, was also, it was also about Norman Reedus's butt. I mean, that was, that was a big part of their stranding, let's face it. And yeah. Monster uh, Energy drinks. <laughs> yes. Uh, but moving on, there is something... Uh, wanted to ask you tina since um you're on the podcast and uh we've actually met at tgs um, a couple of times when you were off there uh, you're know, promoting uh quantum suicide and you've uh getting the sore feet from working the floor <laughs> yeah yeah that must be exhausting uh, and I, I remember actually i think it was two years ago was it uh they they dropped you in like the dating simulator section of tgs for some reason rather than the yeah indie section um so there was all these games where uh very <laughs> very beautiful people modeling 
as yep. ways of promoting the games. And there, there was you, the the Aussie developer, with a little stand <laughs> showing Wait, was that the one where they were having uh, like fake weddings? Yeah, yeah, fake weddings. That was oh great fun. Oh my god, I so wanted to partake, but someone had to man the booth. <laughs> The dating for people who have never been to TGS, if you ever get a chance to go to TGS, the dating game section is just—it's it, something that will open your eyes. Um, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I love that section every year. Last year. Sorry. They removed it last year. Did they? Yeah. Did they. Yeah, they didn't have enough um, people, so it got cut. Oh, I think there was one, there was like one or two games that they were showing off individually that were like dating games, yeah. but they didn't have that yeah. whole have that kind giant of giant romance mm. section. Yeah, That's right. They didn't. That was disappointing. Hopefully they bring it back. There's certainly an audience for those kinds of games. But what I wanted to ask you was, uh, as somebody who has been to TGS and stuff, and you've obviously experienced the energy and the, uh, the excitement of it all. Obviously, they didn't have much of a choice with uh, 2020 in terms of going virtual. But do you think that there's enough from TGS to still be uh, an event of interest? Uh, when it's not online, or when it is online? This year, yeah, this year has it been oh. has, has there been enough of it that it's been you know still worth doing rather than just cancelling completely? Yeah, no, I, th I think it's still worth it. It's just I really enjoy the actual like physical <laughs> like online is all well and good and it's good for like you know watching the trailers and the announcements but i don't know i like being on the floor with people as weird as that sounds don't take that out of context um, <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know there's just a different energy when there's actually like when people like especially like when when tgs first opens and then you see everyone like running full pace from the front to get into the line so they can play the games that they've waited for like and you know we'll have uh the queue stopped after an hour because it's already full for the entire day like just seeing that kind of energy and people willing to kill each other to play a demo <laughs> like i really missed that part <laughs> I, I i will never forget the it's always sony um sony booth is always you know, ridiculously popular as well as monster hunter i mean everybody knows yes. monster hunter is and then of for for some weird reason, um, the the Konami dating game with the pretty girls. What's it called? Um, Love Plus. Love Plus. That one always had the same thing, where the the line gets so full, they have a ticketing system for people that maybe want to get a chance at getting into the line if somebody drops out of the line, and they've just yeah. got like lines for lines for backup lines. Yep. And it's all very organised and somehow works because that's Japan and that's how they do things. But um. <laughs> It's yeah, the the energy of TGS is always amazing. Uh and I have actually, weirdly enough, taken more information in already from TGS than I do usually. <laughs> because when I go to TGS, especially the last couple of years, I've been kind of running from interview to interview mm -hmm. and I don't get much of a chance to just absorb all the stuff that's going on. And this year obviously I've been sitting there just watching stream after stream. So I have taken more information in, but you're right I, I do agree there. There is something about the energy of being on the on the floor at the event that is missing, unfortunately. Not that that's TGS's fault; they can't do anything about no, it. Of course, yeah. COVID, COVID's out kicking everyone's backside, but um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Hopefully, everything will be fine for next year. Because... Yes, fingers crossed. Yes, definitely. Um, the other thing that I've missed is the shopping. Oh the, yes, like the merchant, the, the, the merchandise pool? section. <laughs> yeah, mm. the merchandise section is a, is a favourite. I always end up spending way too much money over there, and this year it's just not the same when you have to buy it off a website. It's just not yeah. 
it's much fun. Um, I, I think the first year I was there, I was um, the romance section and the parts of the merch hall were together, and so I was like across from uh, Kojima Productions before. <laughs> They had released any games yet, so there was no understanding. <laughs> and the it was absolutely insane. Like there was this massive line to buy T-shirts of a game that hadn't even come out yet, and they were sold out like <laughs> so quickly. And everyone's like, "Give me a shirt!" <laughs> and it was just crazy watching. Yeah, like it, yeah. That one, that one, and also the, the the Square Enix music booth is always nuts because they always yes. have like one kind of special edition signed thing, and because they have that one special edition signed thing, the lineup for that music booth is already forty minutes long. Yeah. Somehow, within two minutes of the doors opening, I don't know how they manage to get a forty minute line so quickly, but they do. And the thing that always really amuses me is this is the business days. I never go during the general population days i don't go on the, the weekends so this is just the people who actually oh, work wow. in the in so industry you've never, seen, you've never seen the swampingness of <laughs> general public like, yeah i'm 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 a little bit of an elitist um and <laughs> I, i'm not a big fan of you know uh crowds so thick that you just kind of yep. get washed away in the sweat of the the hordes yep but <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough whenever I go to TGS, they put up the numbers every day and it's, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people or whatever on the day. And I'm thinking, yeah, it was pretty busy, you know, three hour lines here and there for the big games. And then you look at the numbers that they pull for the general pop days and it's like 150,000. It's like, oh my God, it's like three times what I experienced. No thanks. Um, Yeah, the business days are the nice, easy ones where you kind of just chill for two days. Even though you're still constant, it's a constant like come through, but you're still a bit chill. But then as soon as it's public days, you just, yeah, like you need more hands, you need more people, like <laughs> can't keep up with anything. <laughs> Would you say that the TGS has been good for your game? Because your game is one of those very unique Australian games that actually does work at TGS, I think. But uh, did yeah. you get a good response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the first year that we were there, because we were in the romance section, <laughs> TGS were just like, you're the first non-Japanese game ever to be in the romance section and we love you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> They're like, come back next year. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but no, like, uh, it's always been received pretty well. Um, obviously, uh, people I get quite... Uh, shocked when they're like wait this isn't a Japanese game and I'm like no <laughs> it's not um and as I said previously in a Twitter conversation for some reason I'm always asked if I'm Russian and I'm still not 100% sure why but I'll just take it as a compliment um but no like they've always been really 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 um receptive like no one's ever been like oh <laughs> from Australia gross <laughs> or at least not to my face so thank you for being polite Japan <laughs> Well, we'll definitely talk more about uh, quantum suicide in, later on in the podcast in the last section. Um, but we'll jump to some music now. I just realised these are going very long, and Alan's going to yell at me for taking up too much of his time um, in editing. So let's let's give the music choice to Trent now. Trent, you pick one song, and you can't say that you weren't prepared for it. I gave Matt <laughs> no warning. I'm give, oh, you've had a whole section to pick a song. So I, I as soon as. Earlier, I'm like, oh, I have, I have, I'm gonna get it, and I'm gonna have no warning, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna look up something for like a song, and then I just didn't do it.
Welcome back, everybody. All right, so Mario came out um, about, well, by the time you listen to this podcast about two weeks ago, that's been the collection of the three um, the three 3D Mario games that were pretty popular, Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and Mario Galaxy. And the DDNet team has been in heated debate since then about whether those games are actually good or not. Uh, and it kind of got us thinking, I guess, more broadly about what what video games have aged well as such and um, what helps a game age well, I guess, is the the, the thesis of this little section. So um, we'll start with Matt because he has very strong opinions about this Mario game, Mario 64 in particular. For some reason he thinks it's bad, but he's wrong. But I will give him the ability, the moment, to uh, explain himself and <laughs> uh, perhaps tell us from... From your perspective, Matt, um, what does make a game age well? Um, in the context of Mario 64, I think it's probably nostalgia because I think there's a, there seems to be a line between the people who love it and the people who played it on Nintendo 64 and are now repositioning it again. And on the other side of the line, people like me who never played the original and are now playing this game for the first time and uh trying to play a platformer game where you cannot ever see where you're going or aim your jumps properly because the ca- you have to fight the camera every step of the way. Um, that is a frustrating experience. Trying no, you to just have to, you have to commit, you have to commit the levels to muscle memory, Matt. That's the point. <laughs> you just got to remember them that well. You don't need to even look at the screen while you're playing. That's actually a really interesting thing about a lot of old games is that I think people who got very good at them as a kid because it was the only thing they had, that lets you look past a lot of the problems with the camera yeah. and the controls. This just feels natural now. Yeah, well, I guess I mean, that kind of that kind of cuts to the, the point of this whole discussion is those games, Mario 64 being a Nintendo 64 game, uh, that's the same era as the PlayStation 1, the developers were very much still learning how to do 3D mm. back then. They just didn't know. Like the the whole the rule book about how to do camera, how to do character movement, how to all of these things. They just were. It was unknown territory, and they had to. Yeah. They were learning all this stuff kind of on the go, which is the the products that we got were the learning process. Um, and it, it is interesting to me how which games from that particular generation are still relevant interesting and enjoyable today because i do agree that for a lot of people mario 64 is not particularly enjoyable uh i love it (laughs) but then like you said matt i played it a lot as a kid um I am enjoying Mario Sunshine a lot, which seems to be the one that everyone hates. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just <laughs> you're broken. just a contrarian. Just I like sunshine. Uh, sh- ah, well, sunshine. <laughs> I know. I, mean, oh, I, I, I like how Sunshine actually makes Mario a, a convicted criminal, like in the canon of Mario. That's <laughs> that's pretty cool. You know, he's he's a bit of a, a bad boy. He's a Mario. What I find oh, wow. interesting is like with Mario is um, Sunshine is sort of like the odyssey, uh, the odyssey of that era. So it's sort of like a little bit of a lighthearted sort of like, you know, they're on vacation kind of game. And then, you know, you've got two serious kind of platformers either side of it. But then in the middle, you've got this Sunshine title, which seems a bit more foreign and a bit 
random compared to the other two platformers in that collection. <laughs> oh, I only just got what you meant by that. I was like, were there two other platformers on GameCube that were really dark and serious? Oh no, but I totally see what you mean. Yes, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, everyone's talking about the Sunshine, I'm uh, not the Sunshine, the Mario 3D collection. Like, it's it's the only thing people are going to be remembering. I think that the biggest thing is a lot of people say that 64 should have been the DS remake, really. Like, or at least it should have been like a remastered one. Um, there's a lot of changes which I did in the DS, which fixed a lot of loopholes and issues which 64 had in general, which made it a lot more playable. And a lot of people like me was the DS version was the more, the game which a lot more people had to play. So I probably played like a few levels of 64 back in the day, but the DS version was the first time I actually played it and actually completed it. And actually it was like, oh, you know, this is actually a fun, you know, game. But I also had the benefit of all the changes they did to put it onto the DS. They made the camera a little bit better. They introduced a few more, like there was Yoshi, for example, and a few other more mini fun things they added to make the game a little bit more accessible for that uh, platform. Yeah, yeah, that's what Alan's always been saying because he he is noted a young person in this in our <laughs> DD crew, and so he grew up playing Super Mario sixty four DS, and so going back to the original N sixty four, I think that's why he hates it so much, is because it's like something that you remember from your childhood, and it's ingrained in your muscle memory, and you know why you love it, and then you just play like a slightly worse version of it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as a package, I didn't think it was a very good collection. <laughs> um, we've, we've certainly seen a lot of better, you know, retro compilations uh, on Switch. And, um, yeah. Yeah, but... I hate how hit, hit or miss it's been, because there's been incredible compilations that make me wish every single compilation was like this. And then there's been other ones where it's just, okay, here's three games. Have, have fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that said, though, everyone goes on about, like, Crash and Spyro games being, like, the pinnacle of, like, why didn't Nintendo do this sort of thing? But, I like, they did, yes, they're remastered, sort of, but they're games where it's like, well, they weren't really that... They're, they're like the 64 games. <laughs> they weren't, they, very they good weren't good really that place. great to begin with. Like, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, that's, that's going to they... be... That's going to be great for our, our podcast. Thanks, Trent. Um, <laughs> Wait, is, but, do you not I, agree with this? Crash Bandicoot no, I, 1 isn't that good. I think they're all terrible uh, as well. So I agree with Trent. I'm, I'm actually happy to, to go down on that sinking ship with him. But yeah, I, I don't think Crash Bandicoot games are very good. I don't think Spyro games are very good. For the same reasons that you know, we were talking about Mario 64 not being very good. I don't think it was anything... You know, I think the developers did the best they could, but they were still learning all the rules about how to make these games work in 3D. And I, I just think with uh, most of those, I, I think platformers as a genre it did not really come into its own, 3D platformers, I mean, until late into the PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 era. I think there was just too much issue, too many issues with the, car uh, the camera, particularly to deal with, and the developers just did not master it until much later on. So I think that the platformers genre as a whole is one that has, the 3D platformers genre as a whole, is one that has not aged well. And, yeah, I, I think that these games are just pure nostalgia, so people who enjoy them are just doing so because they remember enjoying them as a kid. Well, I think it's like how I love um, Astro Bot. Like, that's a really great VR game. It's 
dubbed like the Mario of a Sony platform in the sense that's charming. It's you know accessible it's a great game but it's still very early vr like i think that game itself is probably going to age a little bit more quickly compared to other platforms of this era and then the like sequel is probably going to be a little bit more accessible and more what people remember but i think that vr game is going to be something which if we look back and play you know even you know five years from now we might be like okay well this isn't you know, the platform genre has jumped considerably and done, you know, different things now and it's a lot more accessible or they've changed things to make players feel a bit better when playing the game. And as those jumps happen, when you go back to the older platformers, it just seem they just seem a little bit more janky and, you know, not, not as fun to play. I mean, virtual reality, if virtual reality is still around in a, a generation or two, that that is definitely one where we'll be looking back at the original games and saying exactly the same thing we're saying about platformers now is just there there are so many rules that need to be decided on on how to do virtual reality properly and they just don't know and you can see that you know virtual they're still struggling to work out how to do a whole bunch of things with virtual reality and yeah whether whether it survives or not is up for debate but at the moment, um, the good virtual reality games that we're playing now, I don't think will be remembered well down the track as, <laughs> as VR. Just, again, not because of any fault of the developers. They've done the best they can with with what they know at the moment, but these things all take time uh, to, to establish. One day in 10 years, someone will figure out how to make movement work in VR and we'll look back on all these kind of click-to-move Point there where you want to move and teleport over there. Yeah, yeah, the teleporting games. What, what, what were these people thinking? <laughs> well, the hardware will catch up. Like already now, yeah. there's a lot of jumps in terms of what you can get as add-ons for VR headsets and, uh, and stuff like that to make it a little bit more accessible. And you know, we're also starting to look at more stuff, which is more streaming to the headset um, rather than cabled in. So the hardware is going to jump. And that's going to change the way the games are developed for it. I think we're going to see a lot of games where the players stand still and things happen to them. Like Beat Saber. There's going to be a lot more Beat Sabers. Yeah, to me, that seems to be where VR is at its strongest, I think, is where you are stationary. Like, in the game, your role is to be stationary and not move around. Um, That seems to me to be where the, the good VR is at the moment. Whether they work out movement down the track, I don't know. Whether... I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that movement and the headset works particularly well, especially since there is that disconnect where if you are meant to move around in the world, you kind of want to move around in the real world and then you start bumping into TVs and things and <laughs> breaking things and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the, the better VR is where you're quite stationary. Can I now. tangent back to one thing about um, remasters and games aging well, right? Because they recently played Mafia Definitive Edition. And that game, the thing I think has aged really well is the story. Because it's a period piece. It was set in the 1930s. And so it doesn't feel dated at all. It wasn't trying to be um, current. It was trying to tell, trying to make some kind of timeless story. So that game that came out in 2002, the story, the really bad parts of it kind of got standard away by Hangar 13. And now they've just kept the stuff that really stands up. And I think the Definitive Edition works really well. And I compared that to, if anyone remembers Grand Theft Auto 3, 
you can't remake that game. There is nothing redeemable about that game's <laughs> plot or characters or story. I mean, there's nothing, there's, well nothing, there's nothing redeemable about GTA in general. What um, I remember <laughs> and loved about GTA 3 and Vice City, like that era, is probably less the story. It was probably more getting a car, turning all the cheats, and just driving around. And the, the soundtrack was great. It had a great soundtrack for, like, that sort of era it was 80s it was 90s like it was great but that's what i remember about the game and then i see people like trying to like there's homebrew versions on the on the switch and stuff like that i'm like well you you don't really need it like the biggest game which is constantly ported and was on every single platform in terms of the gta series is the current one because arguably the current one is actually the best one yeah, it just advances forward pretty much. There's, but there's yeah, no it's it's the it. best. It's the best one until the next one. I guess that's the thing with GTA. They're all kind of games for the here and now, um, which is nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. I guess in a, in a sense, and certainly they're successful enough games for that reason. But yeah, in terms of games that last, uh, I don't think GTAs do. I, I think I think there's something in what Harbour said that it's the narrative is important. Uh, I think that of all the genres out there that do survive um, or are still, you know, remain relevant and interesting and playable later on. The RPG is one that lasts. Um, most good RPGs are as playable now as they were and as enjoyable now as they were back then. Uh, so that is, for me, that's kind of where the genre, in, in terms of the, the good games that are, are still playable and enjoyable, um, much later on the track, I, th I think story-driven stuff is where it's at. Point-and-click adventure games are another yes. one. Those yes. are Monkey Island. Yeah, Monkey Island and stuff. They're all as playable yeah, now as they ever were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's those games where the the quality of the game isn't reliant on the technology, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, yeah. Platformers are kind of the opposite. The quality of the game is very much reliant on the technology. Another good example, I think, ages horribly is sports games. If you go back and <laughs> if you go back and try and play a PlayStation One era FIFA game or whatever, it's very difficult. It's very unenjoyable, and those games, you know, you love them as kids or when you played them when they were new. But every year, on balance, <laughs> sports games move forward and they get better, and they definitely leave the last ones behind. And it's just a, it's a very technological driven um, genre. So I think that's really where it is. The timeless stuff is the stuff that is just written well as opposed to video game made well. I think one thing that's going to be really interesting to see how it's aged now that it's just been re-released overnight is Metal Gear Solid 2. Just in terms of how it relates to the state of the world today and that when it came out it was very, it seemed very, it was very future looking and it seemed kind of conspiracy theory bizarre thing talking all this you know predicting fake news and memes and all that kind of stuff and it's now looking back on it now with the way the world is at now it's like well this is kind of this almost kind of prophetic game and so i think it'll be interesting to to replay it it's almost today. it's almost it's almost like kojima is the fan of che guevara actually just kind of made some observations <laughs> about society that maybe che guevara was quite right about as well yeah. so you know maybe maybe yeah, listen to some people Maybe that's the answer there. I mean, he pretty much nailed the whole the state of the world with Death Stranding, didn't he? Yeah. One, one year in advance, he pretty much nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, we'll go to some music. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do some music for Metal Gear Solid, and I'm gonna leave it up to Alan to pick. I don't know what song it'll be, but 
he knows Metal Gear Solid, so he'll pick something. It'll be good. We'll be back. We'll talk about Quantum Suicide then. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so the last section of the podcast is uh, the reason that Tino actually joined the podcast. So thank you for sitting through the last one hour and five minutes of us being absolute idiots. So you can talk up your game. (laughs) (laughs) But in all seriousness, Quantum Suicide, it's a very good game. Very, very good game. For people who are listening to the podcast who maybe haven't heard of it before, um, it is a a Danganronpa-like is the way I like to characterize it. It's uh, one of those kind of death games where 
characters keep dying and you need to make sure that you're not the one that is doing the dying and you have a chance to work out the mysteries and get through it all this time around. Unlike a insane robotic bear, as in Danganronpa, you instead have an insane AI, which is pretty cool. I like to think of her as Hatsune Miku gone bad, which is really nice. <laughs> um, uh, she She's my hero. Uh, but <laughs> tell me, where did this idea for this game come from? Because it is enormously uh, complex conceptually, and I looked up quantum suicide, which is an actual thing, just so you all know. You can actually go and Google search it up, and then it'll blow your mind by making you think about stuff too much. But <laughs> where did all of this come from many years ago um, when you started the journey in making the game? So... <laughs> The, the way it even started was um, I had just finished um, all of the VLR games that were out at the time. So the last one wasn't out. I think Virtue's Last Reward was as good as it was getting at the time. And obviously I'd played 999 and I've played all the Danganronpas. Um, and I was like, I want to play a game that is similar. Um, you know, I like the death game, like punishment game thing that some Japanese games have. Um, and I couldn't find any. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, well, that sucks. And then I moped around for a few days. Like, you know, the depression that hits after you've finished a game and you're like, now, now what do I do with my life? Um, and then I was like, well, I can complain about it or I can just make my own. And that is how it started. So I was just like, sweet ass, I'll just make my own then. And that way, <laughs> other versions of me in future might be less sad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's no giant massive like oh i was thinking about you know how quantum suicide affects my everyday life when i almost get hit by cars or anything nah it was just i i wanted to play more games and they weren't on so so about quantum <laughs> suicide i sort of went on to like a rabbit hole like of research when i was like just like on, on youtube looking at mm -hmm. like vi videos and i'm just like oh this is a video on quantum suicide like the actual concept not the game yep. and i'm just like oh yeah that's cool then i'm like oh what this what this video oh what then i'm like looking at the many worlds theory then i'm looking at like yep. the other weird theories about the brain and consciousness and then i'm just like yep 500 videos deep and not even looking at quantum suicide anymore yeah <laughs> How good is it though? Like it's so interesting that you just you start and then it's just a rabbit hole of <laughs> more theories and they slowly get like more bizarre and you're like, but I love it. <laughs> so yeah, you just go was, further. That was one of the things I loved the most about nine 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 was the way they weaved in real world pseudoscience, like <laughs> glycerin freezing or whatever it was, and yeah. it just it it makes you think, oh, this is plausible. Oh, that's yeah, less exactly. plausible. Oh, like, apocalypse is cool, cool. So good. <laughs> So how much, how much research did you actually do? Because uh, uh, the, the thing about all these games is that they are all quite, I guess, um, quite complex in terms of the way that they engage with their ideas, like Danganronpa being an application of game theory, which, is, which was what I got into it. That's the reason I find Danganronpa to be particularly interesting is because I did a lot of study of game theory, so I find it a very interesting topic. Um, but yeah, uh, virtual loss reward is another good example, but it's not an area that I'm so familiar with. So I never actually think of that one when I'm talking about these kinds of games. But in, in quantum suicide is it's intense. <laughs> uh, there, there's a there's a lot of thinking you can do about it. So I guess I'm I'm just keen to know once you decided on that being your theme, just how much thinking <laughs> did you do to to start to conceptualize conceptualize the game around it. Um. So it, there was a lot of reading. <laughs> um, 
and I don't have a background in any kind of hard science so it was <laughs> very much from like baby's first quantum mechanics um, <laughs> and trying to work my way into it to understand uh, the concepts and how it could inform a narrative uh, but no it was it was really good fun because the the thought that at any time in which you could die you could also live and then reality pretty much branches into the two possibilities is just I don't know it's just fascinating because <laughs> I'm like I wonder how many times I've died <laughs> like, already <laughs> like <laughs> in life that I, I just didn't know because I haven't obviously hit that bad end yet um <laughs> uh so no it yeah it, I can't even remember the question now because now I'm just thinking about theories <laughs> sorry yeah that's all right um well, I guess that kind of moves on to the next, next question anyway. It's like, uh, the whole, I guess, the whole point of quantum suicide, not that I'm by any means an expert, um, but the, the whole point of it is that idea of um, branching paths or, or, or alternatives, um, conceptual alternatives. The... The thing about your game is that it does have a lot of branching parts and there are a lot of different ways that characters can die and you have a lot of control over which characters die and so on and so forth. Uh, as a as somebody who has done their own visual novels, I can I know just how hard it is to 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 keep those logic flows going throughout a game. Uh, that must have been a real struggle for you. Look, there have been times where I've confused myself with timelines <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my brain. Like, so to, to start it off, um, I just had a giant whiteboard and then I start at the beginning of the game and then slowly it's like every time someone dies, obviously it branches whether, you know, this person dies or this person dies or you die. Because every time you play the deletion game, you can die. Like, it's mm. never, you're never safe because I don't like being safe like because it's unrealistic <laughs> um and then yeah it just got hella out of control <laughs> and like the game itself is like over three hundred thousand words that are unique as in like so there's parts that have to um repeat uh for uh particular plot devices like so it doesn't matter in which timeline you're currently in you know the spaceship still goes past a black hole for example so that still has to repeat but outside of that um even though uh major points are similar because it's technically the same version of reality but with someone else dead so it's it's similar um it's still all separate and so i've had a few whoopsie moments where I've accidentally forgotten who was dead or crossed the lines and then someone has suddenly <laughs> magically come back to life and people are like whoa hold on aren't they dead and I'm like oh yes one moment please and then I'm, just like, <laughs> I'm murdering them again <laughs> to get rid of them um but yeah it's 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 definitely been a bit in your brain <laughs> to try and fo follow it and then especially like when you get towards uh the end things a few things start crossing over and so you've got to try and work out which timeline is which of which one is impa impacting this one and yeah it gets yeah my brain it has done a lot of work <laughs> yeah i mean you mentioned that there's you mentioned that there's uh 300 words of, of unique text in in the game i think that's one of the interesting things about 
visual novels because I mean your visual novel in terms of a linear start to finish progression is not like it's not a super super long one in the, compared to some of the other examples of visual novels out there. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that visual novels a, a standard book a good length book might be a hundred thousand words <clears throat> but your visual novel is three hundred thousand words you know and, and counting yeah. just how much just how much writing goes into these things and then to try and to keep it all consistent um and all the characters you know have their own personalities and maintain those personalities and the situations are logical and all of that kind of stuff it's just the the amount of work that you have to put into those games is is intense so um the end result with your game is is really impressive i oh, think thank you. <laughs> <laughs> i think um have i know you've had big you know with with launch and you've had bug squashing missions to go on and stuff but uh, have you been pretty happy with how people have responded to the game so far uh yeah like um don't get me wrong, it could always be more positive, but I'm very happy for the positive I have received, and most of the, um, like, negative have been fair, so I'm like, yeah, that's fair, like, I'm not going to get defensive, I'm like, yeah, I, I stuffed that part up, didn't I, like, whoops, um, but as far as, like, because I've never made a game before, or launched a game, or anything like that, so as far as my first ever making of a game, and then releasing it, I think... I think it's done pretty well <laughs> like um yeah i think i think one of the things that um i'm currently getting uh a, a fair amount of criticism for is uh so in the game uh the pathing is based on the deaths because obviously uh, quantum suicide so um when someone dies it changes you know which version of reality you go down um and depending on that like through the multiple stages is kind of where you end up at the end so uh the kind of romance options are determined based on who dies not on points or flagging um and uh that hasn't gone down well <laughs> so sorry guys um anyone who's upset about that uh my bad <laughs> but um you know lessons learned for future if i'm having romance elements even if it is uh informed by scientific theory it needs to follow the traditional <laughs> flagging or point system to make people happy so <laughs> got, got, got to make got to make them gamers happy that's the that's the, the main goal <laughs> yeah well i'm not uh, here to annoy anyone so hopefully <laughs> obviously you can't make everyone happy but you know i i'm not setting out to purposely annoy people so <laughs> You're not Matt, that's Matt's specialty. That, that's, that's my job, yeah, that's what I like to do, that's, that's my hobby. But um, yeah, it is interesting, the visual novel community, for for what is a very niche community, I guess, uh, and still is, I mean, visual novels are growing in popularity and there's so many of them, but they are still a very kind of niche audience. It is interesting to me just how <laughs> how traditional they can be in terms of what they want from their visual novels and... Yeah, it seems to be one of those those genres where too much experimentation. <laughs> yeah, too too much experimentation gets you in trouble <laughs> with with VNs for some reason. Ah, and yeah, I, I would imagine that your game might be pushing up against the edge about uh, of what uh, a lot of people's tolerances might be for experimentation in in VNs. 
See, I think if I didn't have the romance element, it wouldn't be a problem. I think it would be a completely different story. They'd be like, oh, yeah. But because you have, like, endings where you do end up with people, um, yeah. But as I said, lesson learned. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the purpose of having the romance elements in a death game other than to make sure you get that really cool booth at TGS in the, the romance section? <laughs> Um, so the reason I decided to go down that route was because, like, obviously I like Danganronpa, but I don't know, I never feel particularly strongly about any of the characters, and I was like... <gasps> oh dear, that's going to be controversial with me, I'm sorry, sorry but <laughs> Kirigiri, <laughs> like... you don't feel strongly about Kirigiri? Uh, look, I'm just like, alright, who's next, like, so I can... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just, I'm just very like uh, heartless. I don't know. But I was like, if I put a bit of a romance element in it, maybe it'll make people like people more. So that way when I kill them, they'll be more sad. Um, <laughs> so I was just pretty much trying to make people like characters that I could then murder. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know, if you really like that character, you'd, you'd try hard to keep them alive. So I... Yeah, so I kind of pushed the the romance a bit, and that way, you know, giving the, telling people that if you play your cards right, by the end of the game, you'll be alive, and the person you like will be alive, and you can see where it goes from there. Um, so yeah, like it's it's not a very good reason, I guess. It's good enough reason, <laughs> I think. Makes, oh, I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, people might might care more if they're. Uh, a bit more invested. Because, See the yeah. thing with with me with my with the way I played it, it was it was kind of like a it was a process of elimination. It was like the ones I didn't want to end up with the most went first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I kind of really, really surprised me. So uh, sorry to cut you off, but you, you right. know you know um, I assume you you've played Logistship obviously because I know you've gotten through to Bidding Wars at least. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people got upset that they uh, were trying to kill Melody and it wasn't showing up in the results. <laughs> Mel Melody being the child. Yeah, character. Melody being like a five-year-old child and they're trying to kill her. And I was like, all right, you monsters, <laughs> calm down. So I made obviously new screens and stuff to show that they had tried to kill Melody. But we're not successful because I'm not letting you murder a five-year-old. <laughs> but I just couldn't, like, I didn't even think of it. Like, it didn't even past my mind that people were going to try and murder the five-year-old <laughs> but apparently more than one person <laughs> so in the bug reports because i have a a like a, a forum on steam and i'm like just tell me what's wrong and i'll fix it as fast as possible which has been really helpful because people have been super nice about it um yeah people are just like i tried to kill melody and it didn't even register and i'm like holy crap <laughs> like, oh my god but yeah um, people, <laughs> I thought I was bad. I'm not trying to kill children. <laughs> Do you get to see the kinds of, the, the overarching, here's how many people made this decision and does it surprise you or has it been more along the lines of what you thought would happen? Oh, you're talking uh, about analytics? Yeah, yeah. Oh, as in like how many people have played it and stuff? Um, not just that, but how many people chose one decision over the other? You know, like in Telltale, they'll tell you 70% chose to save this person or whatever. Yeah, I, I do not have any of that stuff in. <laughs> um, once I finish the Unity build, that'll be much easier to have 
incorporated, but Renpi is uh, a little less complicated <laughs> as an engine. Um, so yeah, I, I don't even know if I have that option with Renpi. <laughs> it would be good to know how many people tried to kill Melody. It, it, just yeah. to just to know roughly the population of the you know the the, the population out there that are absolute psychopaths. It, it would be it would be helpful to have that idea that that knowledge. Yeah, like look, some of them made pretty like they're just like what she's five, she's useless. Like she brings nothing <laughs> to the team. I'm like, well, okay. Like some of them were really ready to back themselves up, <laughs> and I'm like, look, I'm not here to judge. <laughs> I'm judging. <laughs> But no, it, yeah, that like I know, like obviously, I I can see things like the rough, like medium time played and stuff like that, which I'm I'm quite happy with, which is currently sitting at five and a half hours, which I think is pretty good. Like, um, you need way more than that if you want to finish the game, but <laughs> but I don't expect everyone to finish it. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing, like um the work I've done with game development and stuff, the the number of people that end up buying the game and then not even, you know, on console or whatever, not even unlocking the first trophy, which you literally get by, you know, finishing the tutorial or something. It's, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of people that don't actually play games, which tends to pull that average time played <laughs> down. Um, but, yeah, five, five and a half hours for, for your game seems like a, a good average. It means that a lot of people are really engaging with it, which is good. Yeah, um, that made me pretty happy. I was like, "That's that's a nice number." <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, hmm. the game the game's coming to other platforms, um, which is great. Looking forward to playing it on console where it belongs. To be honest, um, <laughs> PC gaming's not my thing, so I made an exception for your game, but I, oh. I don't generally do that. Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, I mean, the process is. Have you enjoyed working on? bringing it to console are you looking forward to perhaps finding a new audience with it because i think that in all seriousness i think the visual novels do would, would sit better on console anyway uh i would like to think there's an audience um uh well because i am not a like a real game developer <laughs> or a programmer or anything um it's it's probably slightly harder for me than normal people because this is the first time I'm using Unity and so I'm just trying to work it out on the fly. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I hope it works <laughs> considering how much effort this requires. Um, so I, I hope at least one person <laughs> will buy it and be like, I like this game. Um, but yeah, I'm... Obviously, I wanted to go into the Vita because a lot of people ask for it on the Vita. And um, so far, we're on track, but Vita closes pretty shortly. And I am working my butt off to get this across the line before they stop accepting Vita games. Um, but I am only one person with two hands <laughs> and no programming <laughs> education. So. That um, that Vita community, uh, <laughs> they're a fascinating audience. They are. Yes, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to let them down. <laughs> they're passionate. They're very passionate yes. people. Yeah. They are. Vita, oh, they Vita should have just all moved to the Switch. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Switch 
Switch is where visual novels belong. We've been talking about this before. There should be like a dedicated Kindle for visual novels. Yeah, where you there just, should be a giant device. The only thing you play on them is VNs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's got it's got a link to you know it, that it could be like the itch console because every visual novel on the planet ends up on itch. <laughs> and yeah, I'm you just have three hundred thousand <laughs> different visual novels to choose between. Um yeah, yeah, we, I, hit a, we hit a thing with itch because the game's too big. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, they do have that. They have that one gigabyte maximum yeah, size requirement. Yeah, content still size like four gig, and then people <laughs> are like, "How is a visual novel four gig?" And I'm like, "You cut twenty thousand plus VA lines. You'll find out how you <laughs> yeah. get to four gig." <laughs> yeah, it's called it's called sound files. They do count. Yeah. They do add up. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that people. I, I always love to listen to people's opinions on how video games are made and what they do because people have opinions and they're they're all convinced they're experts. Um, <laughs> I have one other question for you. Uh, I guess if, in terms of quantum suicide, you've got the you know the death scenes. They're all pretty gory um, or dramatic, at least. Um, I did not like burning up. Um, <laughs> that was horrible. Just the mental image of the, but anyway, um, it haunted me. Uh, the, the death scenes are great. Uh, you've got the romance options, um, and then you've got um, some some fan service in there as well. Um, the was trifecta. that sorry? The trifecta. Yeah, the, the, the trifecta. <laughs> some of those scenes are quite um, quite. No, I, I, I don't want don't want to say explicit because in video games explicit means something else entirely. But they're quite, you know, um, boundary pushing. I want to say, <laughs> Let, let's go with that boundary pushing. Yeah. Um, was it difficult to? I mean, did you have a sense when you were creating all of these visual uh, key outs and stuff that the, there was a specific line that you didn't want to, to cross with, you know, either the the violence, the death scenes, or the the fan service? And how did you manage that? while still having that kind of edgy look and um, kind of dr drama that you're looking for with those scenes? Uh, so as far as the death scenes and stuff go, um, I'm a pretty horrible person, so there was no real line there. <laughs> Not horrible enough to give us the melody deaths. We did want those. No, no. <laughs> However, um, it's probably a good thing because PlayStation specifically has a, a problem with violence against children. And if I had that... I would not be accepted on the platform. Um, so I've already had to show Sony uh, every situation of a CG that Melody is in that is violent. So like if people are dead around her or she's dead or anything like that, and then kind of been like, you know, she didn't suffer or, <laughs> or things like that. Um, so yeah, it's a good thing I didn't go too far with children's murder. Um, uh, as far as the adulty content goes, um, I pretty much was like, if I can show my mum and be like, mum, this is what I made and I'm not embarrassed, that's a good indication. That, that being said, though, my mum is rather liberal. I was going to um, say, your mum must be pretty open-minded then, given some of those scenes. Because yeah. <laughs> they're, pretty, yeah. They're pretty cool. Uh, they're, um, they're pretty good. But, yeah, so obviously there's no, like, blown nudity 
like you have some bath scenes and stuff but I mean you don't see anything like it's still in your imagination I actually got criticized because all the dudes are too ripped and it's unrealistic <laughs> <laughs> oh so yours, yours is like the the reverse of the uh the last of us two issue where the uh, abby was too ripped in your one it's the guys yep. are too ripped I see yep. I see like, how are all these men so so ripped and I'm like what <laughs> It's hard work living on a spaceship. Yeah, it's work out. Yeah, they also, you know, they have set rations, which means they can't overindulge. Like, you know, I can make this work. <laughs> like all the women have yeah, bloody flat stomachs and stuff. What have you got a problem with? <laughs> there's not, there's not much water on there, so the, you know, the, the, the density is, is not the same. So you know, it shows, shows up the muscles better. Yeah, it's all in the science. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we, we can explain it. <laughs> But no, yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Like, don't kill children. Well, directly. She still dies sometimes, but not <laughs> not not directly. Um, and if I can show my mum, it's okay. So, yeah. Like, people got pretty upset about, like, uh, I made ducky muckaters, and they're just like, they're not naked. And I'm like, no. <laughs> they're, they're sexy, not naked. And they're just like, Oh, and then <laughs> one of them. Uh, so I have one for like all of the main characters. Um, and then because I and I are technically the same person, but technically not the same person, I have one for each. And so to differentiate, um, I has her bottom skirt on and just kind of lifted a little where Di doesn't have the bottom skirt on. Rather, she's just in her underwear with like the top. And I had people get really upset that Di shows her underwear and no one else does. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "This is favoritism. I want Shizuka's underwear." And I'm like, oh "My God, okay." Um, so bear with me then. <laughs> we we are all getting a fascinating crash course into the mindsets of fan communities here, and they're an interesting <laughs> breed of people. Is the point? <laughs> yeah, look, I I absolutely love my community. Um, to give you an idea about how delightful they are, so the Steam reviews are own, like the ones that you see on the main page are only based on bought games so all of my steam keys that have been handed out through kickstarter mm. don't count towards the review at the top of the page so when it goes mixed mostly positive or whatever doesn't count they don't count it um and i <laughs> and at least one of my backers have worked that out and went and bought another copy through steam themselves so their review counted to counter some of the the negative ones. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, there you go. So, right? I'm just like, nice. my God, how how are you all so sweet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's um, good to hear. I mean, you've you've had such a odyssey in actually getting this game made, and um, the it's been it's been one that I've been following for a long time. And obviously, you've had all those issues and getting it over the line. So it's good that people appreciate that. Um, and I. Wish you all the best with it. I hope it's a success for you. And I've said to her, I'd like to actually do game development as a real job rather than <laughs> on the side of full time study and part time jobs. So, <laughs> yeah, living the dream. Hopefully, I hope you get there. Um, I think it's a, it's a really great game. Anybody listening to this podcast, I really do genuinely recommend it. I think it's uh, if you enjoyed uh, Virtue's Last Reward or Danganronpa, if you like death games, um, if you like thinky visual novels that will get you creative and if you like games that apparently respect children enough not to kill them um 
then but this, we'll allow you to try. <laughs> but we'll allow you to try. They give you. They give they you. judge you if you do. They give you, <laughs> they give you all the opportunities you need. Um, but in all seriousness, go and check it out. It's a it's a great game. Um, a lot of work has gone into it, and it deserves success. So, I want to thank you for being on the podcast, Tina. It's been really great to have you on, and I we will you. give it a wrap here. Is there any music for Quantum Suicide around? Yeah, uh, the main theme song is pretty good. It's actually a Sevio song, like so. It's kind of like Hatsune Miku, but not. Cool. Is that on the YouTube's or something? Is there somewhere we can find it so we yeah. can add it to I our can, podcast? I can just send you a copy. Oh, if you can do that, that'd be great. We would use that as our concluding music for the podcast today. Thanks everybody for tuning in, and uh, have a great month with the video games. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another podcast. Zen Ishii Don't care